and welcome to the 24th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is the Room Games, both of them, by Fireproof Studios. Barry, tell us who Hello. you are. Hello. Hi, Chris. Yeah, um, tell us. Uh, I'm uh, Barry Mead, and I'm a uh, co-founder and director of Fireproof Studios. And um, we made our first mobile game two years ago. It was called The Room, and we just released The Room 2 uh, just before Christmas. And these are on iOS and Android mobile and they're devices. iOS and Android, yes. Awesome. So that answers the first question. So, you know, gently move in, you know, your name, what you do. <laughs> That's pretty What's- gentle. Yeah, pretty gentle, but then we're going to Paxman levels later on. Oh, good. Former Paxman, because he's retired now, isn't he? Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, how did you make your start? Because I believe you've actually been doing this for quite some time, haven't you? Uh, me personally, yeah. I've been, mm. I've been doing it a long time. I, I started, um, uh, gosh, what was it, year 92, 93 in Ireland, in Dublin, Um and I worked at a games company there for almost two years. And then I moved over in 95 to work in Bullfrog in Guildford. Um, and I worked there for yeah two years until it was bought by EA. Um, and I've been in working in and around Guildford ever since, really, in, diff- in various companies. Um, spent a year in Liverpool, did a year in uh, near Newcastle as well. Um, but I've been, yeah, mostly in and around Guildford for like, say, 17 of those 20 years. What is it about that town? Is it well, a town or a city? I can't remember. It's, it's, oh, a, it's a town. It's a big, it is a town. It hasn't got I think it's a town. It? It's a town that wants to be a city. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they even they even built a, a cathedral overnight or virtually <laughs> overnight in order to get city status, but they were turned down. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's just a big town, and and it really it all stemmed from Bullfrog. Bullfrog was the only games company here twenty years ago, and I guess they were such a success um, that there was spin off companies and spin off companies. And oh yes, you, bought... had a, you had alumni, didn't you? From well, there's many, many bullfrog alumni, isn't there? All over the shop. Well, exactly. I mean, there's been spin off companies of spin off companies of spin off companies <laughs> yeah. from bullfrog. So that's pretty much how it started. And then with EA buying them, that brought EA to the town. Um, yeah, and I guess it just grew from there, really. So it's, uh, and now I think it must be one of the biggest hubs in the country uh, for games, if not the biggest. So, so what, yeah, did you, uh, what did you do? What specific areas did you work in? Oh, when I started, I was um, like, when I was making educational games in Dublin, that was back in the 16-bit days. Mm. Uh, everything was 2D. And I was an artist, animator, and game designer, really. Um, and I did that in... Um, in Dublin, I also did that when I was in Bullfrog. I did yeah, art and animation and game design. So what sort of titles did you work on? just want to get a, a feel for what your broad is. Uh, what you Please. might have heard of. I, yeah. The first thing I worked on actually was Dungeon Keeper, but that was back <laughs> when it was a top-down 2D sort of JRPG game. Right. Um, and like that was my first day's work in Bullfrog. But actually, the, the games I really spent a lot of time on was Magic Carpet, uh, Magic Carpet 2, Syndicate Wars. Um, yeah, Magic Carpet was crazy. No offense yeah, to yourself, but it was just completely like, let's go, men. What would it be if you like to throw on a carpet? Yeah. Be mad. Pretty right. much. And yeah, what, pretty that much. was it. Because everyone just, it kind of stops there, doesn't it? Stop there. It's like, you're on a carpet, people flying. Okay, I yeah, can you deal just, with that. You fly around, shoot things. <laughs> you know, but then, but then 
shoot other like, wizards. Yeah, but it answers the question like, what would you do as a carpet dwelling fellow? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's not because you know, no one really answered that question. Like, it was oh, the first carpet. carpet simulator, right? Let's it was, and uh, yeah. I was talking to some people about it. Like we we're reminiscing about certain games of a certain era. There's a there's another show that's doing like what was life like twenty years ago? Well, Doom Two hadn't come out yet. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I then, mean, Magic Carpet was great for that. It was it was kind of contemporaneous with um, uh, Doom, and yeah. uh, so it was one of the first full 3D games. Uh, that was out there, although like Doom, it was kind of 2.5D um, I, I in its own way because it was a, it was a height field based game, you know. Mm, yeah, um, I got the impression. But it was, sorry, go on. I was just about to say, I got the impression that the PC, just at that point, was, you know, yeah. very liberating as a machine. Because it had yeah. it was very powerful. It could do all sorts of extraordinary things that people didn't think it could do. And all of a sudden, people shoved well, in a, a reasonably powerful graphics card, and all of a sudden... Boom. Yeah, I mean, that all happened because the PC was dreadful at 2D graphics. Yeah. So it lagged behind, um, it lagged behind uh, things like the Amiga, the ST, the SNES, um, or, well, the NES, I suppose, at the time, and all these, um, and the Sega systems, all of which could do uh, very fast 2D graphics right the pc had a had a um uh it just didn't have the hardware whereas these other um consoles and and home computers did have hardware specifically for doing 2d sprites at at very high speed at 60 frames it did yeah Um, and the pc just didn't have it so when graphics cards began to arrive for the pc suddenly the cpu took over because 3d became important then and that was where all the, the other consoles and home computers had no strength at all and so um, you know, when I arrived at Bullfrog, it was really just at the transition from 2D to 3D, and Bullfrog had already um, moved the entire company onto PC before it was ever really that popular because they just figured that was where it was going to go because they were known as uh, Amiga developers. Um, they were. Yeah, I, I used yeah. to buy a lot of them, their stuff. I remember the first ever multiplayer LAN game I ever played was Populous. Yeah, that's right. It would I have was... been one of the very first. And uh, yeah, Stunt Car Driver, do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, you used to even be able to play that. You could hook an ST to an Amiga over. That's over, right. Uh, That's what I did. I had yeah over serial cables. Yeah, which is crazy. You'd be like hooking up a, a PlayStation to an Xbox today, you know, <laughs> yeah. having it all just work. <laughs> yes, absolutely insane. But I remember yeah. taking this null modem cable and just linking the two, an Amiga and the P, the ST up, and like, yep, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, and and I, it, I think it worked for Populous too. Yes, it did. Uh, That's although, what we played. I, I seem yeah. to remember the Populous ST was terrible. If memory it serves. It wasn't very good. It was yeah. slightly slower, and there was no yeah. heartbeat, which is like, yeah, Ugh. but that yeah. was the ST for you, bless it. So oh, yeah, that was kind oh. of what we were using back then, and um, most graphics were produced in a two in a two D package, uh, deluxe paint, uh, which was used to do all the anims animations and the graphics. And three, we were just starting to use three D when I joined Bullfrog. I think three D Studio had just come out. Yes. Um, and so Bullfrog, Magic Carpet was the first game Bullfrog ever made that used uh, models where we rendered the sprites and then drew over them by hand. Wow. Yeah, so it was, um, it was really, it was quite different, you know. So, but then you, you went from the 90s through to, what, did you work on, like, PS1 and, and that sort of stuff and just the other regular console stuff? And, I don't know. Just, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly was, I mean, I came from a home computer background, so I was very biased in that oh, direction. Okay. Right. So, because I, you know, I, I had an Amiga when I was a kid, and I had a Commodore 64 before that, so 
Mm. Um, and then went on to the PC. And then when the consoles came about the, with the SNES and the Mega Drive, uh, they began to take over as the gaming machines. And I really, so that whole period of the very first home powerful consoles from Nintendo and Sega passed me by personally. Me too. Um, yeah. But then I'm... when the PlayStation came around, was, it was when PlayStation 1 came out that I began to think, oh, hang on a minute, this is where the future is. It's not in computers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing, right? I remember uh, yeah. playing, I remember playing uh, Peter Molyneux went to Japan and brought back a PlayStation 1 with a copy of Ridge Racer. Of and we were all around, and he brought it all around his house that night to play it, and we were just floored, absolutely floored floored by what we were playing so still a glorious game um, oh, amazing for amazing, me ridge yeah. racers i i sort of i say oh it's my guilty pleasure because i get a lot of i know a lot of friends who are race purists you see yeah and um that that can be a that can be a problem but um i love ridge racer even ridge racer 7 you know yeah so. <laughs> okay well <laughs> you're on your own there but uh, <laughs> yeah no i mean i i know i personally don't really have much interest in racing games but at the time you know a game is a game a good game is a good game and we all yeah. played that game to death and uh, and then wipeout came out and things like this which just seemed to raise the bar you know so it was consoles were where all the um um progression was happening so um Ooh. yeah so then i i decided i wanted to make console games and then um, that's when i joined criterion back in 2001 2002 let me think Sorry, hang on. No, that can't be right. Around 2003 it would have been, yeah. Yeah, okay. 2003. So, moving swiftly on then, we, you, you, like, when did you like move on to sort of mobile stuff? It was like a couple of, like, you say, three or four years ago? Two years ago? Yeah, I mean, like, Fireproof, the, all, of, all of us, the six founders, came from uh, Criterion Games where we worked in the Burnout series. Okay. Um, and we worked from Burnout 3, Burnout 4, and Burnout Paradise. Um mm. And we did those over the five years from 2003 to 2008. And then we left in, two, in the end, very end of 2008, we left to form Fireproof as an outsourcing studio with the idea that eventually, you know, we'd hope to make as much money or to meet the right contacts that we would eventually get to make our own games. Um, and that turned out to be very difficult, in fact, um, because mm. uh, we pretty much set the company up like the day the world economy died in 2008. <laughs> and so the, the, the sort of money, money that was in the industry just disappeared almost overnight and the work really dried up. So we, 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 um, but we kept our studio very small and boutique and um, managed to keep it going. And um, yeah, it became a going concern, but we never made enough money to make the game we wanted to make to, um, you know, cause we thought Xbox live or PSN, you know, we could maybe afford, to make a game on those things because like obviously we don't have we were never going to make millions but we thought if we made enough um, money we might be able to make something small for PSN or, or yeah. um, Xbox and um, and that didn't really happen either we never made enough money um, you know partly that was our fault maybe because we refused to grow the company beyond uh, the people we wanted to hire so we you know like most companies you're supposed to take on contracts and then hire people to fill them but we had the opposite we were like no we don't have enough people to do that so we're going to turn that down but the reason was we wanted to make sure that everyone in the company that we hired was great yeah um, well, that's... so we wanted to build a great studio before we built anything else and that's what we that's what we tried to do so then when mobile came along it was just it was literally the only platform we could afford to make and i remember um, how exciting that was i don't know about you but when that started picking up because prior to then Mobile pl platforms were a joke. No offense to the people who make games on those, but they were bad. They were, 
Yeah, uh, they were. I mean, the, the yeah. games were pretty broadly terrible. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think we would have been as snobby as anyone else about them uh, yeah. before that. But but to be honest, it was true. I mean, the, the first few years of mobile games were, were pretty dreadful. But then again, the platforms we were playing on, or the machines we were playing on, they just not really designed for that kind of interaction. They were designed for two things. Yeah, this is Take- true. The early ones weren't very powerful. Um, but there, I mean, there were still nifty little machines. Yeah. But they weren't. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, the problem with the were and there was a reason why people who came from web and from old dumb phone um, worlds were able to thrive on mobile is because they were used to restrictions. Those kind of really um, basic restrictions of how much you know of hardware and yeah. And so those guys came onto mobile very early and and started to thrive. Whereas people like us who came from um, who were used to using like very heavy hardware. And having lots of computing power to make our stuff, um, I think, didn't do too well on mobile at all. And that, and by that I mean right up to the biggest publishers like EA and Ubisoft. Um, there was years of terrible, terrible <laughs> ports, and you know, um, so-called AAA games that were just a bit rubbish. Um, yeah, I think the big change was uh, the, the, the core of it was that originally those those hardware restrictions existed in the eight-bit and sixteen-bit days. But you'd forgotten. Well, maybe you just like you. Is that right to say that? Yeah, no, no. I think that's that's completely fair. Yeah, that's that's exactly what had happened. Um, we, um, yeah, all of us. I mean, the, the mobile when they came out were so drastically uh, inferior to any console or or um, the PC that uh, it, it knocked all of us for six. I think nobody really knew what to do with them and how yeah. to make a good game. And um, you know, and I think when we turned our hand to making one in, in uh, 2010, when we started making The Room, we had the advantage of having, you know, watched other people try and fail and watched who had succeeded. Um, and that really informed what we did and the kind of game we wanted to make. So, um, yeah, I'd say we learned ourselves, you know, um, by watching, watching the marketplace, watching what worked and then trying to pay attention to those things, you know. Mm. So, speaking of a creative endeavour, which I like to say that creat- creativity involves a lot of destruction. Uh, Sorry, say that again? Creativity involves a lot of destruction, because you make things and you go, oh, that's not good. Yeah. And then you then proceed to destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> so, what it actually gets up at the end is like 3% of what you actually made to bring it to that point. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes it's way more. Sometimes you start off with something that's really cool and it's grows and flourishes from that but yeah and uh, to be fair that was pretty much how the room went on i mean uh, we um when we i uh, just to roll it back a bit when we started making games like i said we didn't even know what was going to work and what didn't so what we decided to do was we had enough money to pay two people uh, one programmer one designer full time to work on a game um so we got we came up with three different ideas that those two guys were going to make over 3 months so they would spend a month making one demo, a month making another, and a month making another. And then we would decide at the end of those three months which game to to develop um, based on which demo came out the best. And so the first game we tried to make was, um, well, actually, it ended up, if you've ever seen Angry Birds Spaced. Yes, I don't play Angry Birds. That was pretty much our game. That oh, wow. Our very first game idea. Um, so luckily, we didn't choose yeah. to pers- persevere with that because I think Angry Birds Space came out before the room was even finished. So, mm. uh, um, so we tried. We made that one demo, and then the second demo we made was a game called Puzzle Box, which was based. And the idea of that was, it was like a Chinese puzzle box or the um, 
the Lament configuration from uh, Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. If you remember that, the sort of... The, I've got it in my oh, head right now. And now yeah. They did, and it was yeah, sort of based around that idea that we thought that if we had a, some sort of um, manipul- manipulatable puzzle, it would work really well with the touchscreen. Um, and so that's why we thought the puzzle box idea might be cool. So we made that demo. And then by the end of that, that demo, which was demo number two, we liked it so much, we just never made number three. We just no, went straight into production. Awesome. Mm. So that's an interesting way you pulled sort of items there of influences because it leads on to my third question what is your do you think the thing you keep on returning to in your creative endeavors if anything what is the thing that influences you the most me personally or the team uh, both or the company Why? yeah the company what do you think it is uh, you keep on mean i mean as for fireproof i think we're we're really just motivated by great games. I mean, we're not, we're, there's, because there's six founders, like there's no way you'd get us all to agree on what, what, you know, what the greatest game in the world is and what games we should all be making. We try and um, come up with ideas that all of us like rather than one of us or two of us. Um, um, and, uh, and so, you know, something that plays a part in that is, you know, is it the kind of game that all of us would enjoy making and actually putting together and figuring out? Um, and because we were a team of artists at heart, you know, our, our company was originally um, were art outsourcing fireproof. That's what we did. You know, we made we built artwork for other people's games. Um, the reason we liked the room was because uh, it was very art heavy and and um, relatively code light in comparison. And that was the way our company was structured. We had one programmer and a bunch of artists, and so we made a game that just was very art heavy. Uh, and that that really suited us. But I mean, as far as inspiration goes, honestly, I think we. We just, we're just all gamers, and we just like great stuff, and we want to make great stuff as much as we can, and that's really what motivates us. Um, I get a lot of that from developers. It's happy to hear. Some people do point to a certain artist or a certain thing, sometimes even a pet. It could be anything, but I do get a lot of that. That response is very common and happy to hear, is that we like games and we want to make more good games. Uh, it sounds a bit, you know, flippant, but it's exactly yeah, it what it is. It yeah. does sound flippant, but um, it's, you know, I hear a lot more people say that than put it into action, put it that way. Um, I mean, if you go to industry uh, conferences, um, and especially in the mobile sphere, people are very focused on business and focused on giving people, you know, on only making what they know will sell. Um, and to me, that's not, that is not living up to that idea. No. That's, I mean, that's that's pandering to an audience. That's you're not, you know, if you're if you're doing that, it's understandable from a business point of view. But you cannot then come out and say that you're you're pushing the envelope as much as other people are. We see it as our job to actually come up with intriguing, interesting, new stuff as much as possible. I mean, nothing is purely original ever. No. But, uh, but we try as much as we can to make a game that people haven't seen before. I mean, we think that's kind of our job. <laughs> and if you're not doing that, you're kind of slacking off. Yeah, I've been playing, me personally, I've been playing games for so long now. I remember seeing Fez for the first time on a video, yeah. and I went, oh, it's like Nebulous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun in that sense. And if you ask Notch, he'll say the same about Minecraft. You know, it was all, there's, there's two or three games that he completely had in mind when he was putting that together. So, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, Minecraft is a completely original game in its own right, you know. It is. Um, and this is true of almost anything. I mean, Tomb Raider is based on Prince of Persia, right? So, um, 
uh, there's really no game you can point to that's completely original. Um, yeah. There's always some element of luck there and, and some element of, um, um, I don't know, I guess artistry can really help push something, you know. And, um, I mean, somebody I'm even... just having a nice take on it, you know. It's like music. You do a nice arrangement of something and it's like you hear it for the first time again. Yes, and you actually realise, actually, you know, that's Bach. Is it? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, I but the arrangement itself can be really interesting. You yeah. know, and you may never listen to Bach, but you might listen to the death metal version. You know, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this next one is is tricky as well because it all points to a certain individual, maybe company. But is there any particular person or developer you admire that's like, oh, they're they're doing oh, loads, stuff. Yeah. Loads. I mean, I could never really point to. I don't really. I mean, I, I don't really have favorites of anything. I just have no, stuff no. I really like. And and you ask me one day, and I'll give you a different answer to the other. So there's no real point in saying favorite. But um, yeah, there's, there's there's certainly lots of developers, and um, I think uh, having come from the, the sort of AAA world of doing doing burnout, um, you know, sixty frames a second, um, high visual fidelity console games. Um, there's a lot of a lot of so even though we're an indie team, there's a lot of um, console developers we would really respect. Um, like I said, we we kind of just like the best of everything. It's it's not um, there's no one genre or one one developer that we would all look to and say yes, we want to be like them. Um, we just are influenced and inspired by all of these people. Yeah, um, do you know, and it, it's very hard to do. The making video games, it's easier now, I think. I don't know, because of all the tools that are available. I'm always being ignorant there, but I just get the impression that there no, are aspects That's definitely it. true, and also people are schooled in it now. I mean, you can go to college and learn a lot of stuff now, whereas you couldn't, yeah. when, when, um, certainly when I started, you couldn't. No. Um, so, and the cost, the cost of entry with mobile gaming has just has massively come down, which I just mm. think is great. You know, it's one of the yeah. massive strengths of, of, of mobile is that it's, it, whatever the gaming platforms of the future are, they're, you know, the people who are stars of that are going to learn their bones on uh, mobile. I've no doubt about that. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you know things like Unity and other tools like that are very dropping the barrier quite. You know, oh, don't, sure. You don't need to hit the hardware anymore. Absolutely, you know? <laughs> and, and like Unity itself has been so disruptive because now you know Unreal is free now. <laughs> yes, know, so they forced their hand. Crazy. You know, yeah, like, so yeah. it's it's it really has changed things for the better. I mean, and all of this is probably off the back of mobile. Okay. Um, you know, if if mobile games cost ten million dollars to make, Unity wouldn't be free. That's right. Know? So, yeah. all of these things have um, have had an impact, and and for instance, if Unity and mobile didn't take off, then I don't think Sony would have the the enlightened view they have about publishing on the PS4 that they have. So, you know, a lot of this goes back to Apple and what they did. Really, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, Apple, for instance, would be a, a um, uh, an inspiration to me in that sense, where they're, you know, um, <laughs> they're 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 well, I don't know, Apple, Steve Jobs and his team, whoever it is, um, you know, those guys for you can use as an example of, of why you should always try and make the best thing you can rather than giving people what they want. Because they don't know what they want. They don't know what they want. Of no. course they don't. I don't know what, it, I don't know no. what this next best game is, so no. how the hell does anyone else, right? I so, hate that question. I've, and I have an answer of you, and uh, I hate that. Silly. You know, it's like, well, what could you see in the future? If I knew that, I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, it's just, I, you know, I have, I, I, I kind of just disagree with the, the, the perception of the industry about, about, you know, making games that they think are safe or, um, yeah. you know, if you want to take mobile which we which we publish on um you know in that world 
you will not get any investment or publisher backing if you're not making a casual game that's free to play that lasts forever um that's highly monetized and um and the the, the presupposition there is this is what everybody wants to play forever yeah and i just think that's completely bogus that you know that just can't yeah. be true as you, but yes, as you, the industry yeah. insists that that's what it is, that that's, that's where we are, and anyone who's not doing that is irresponsible. And whereas I look back and I think, well, think of all of the, you know, the most amazing games you've ever played. All of them were new, and all of them um, were so surprising and delightful because you hadn't seen them before. And in fact, they're the kind of games that all of these other companies are now ripping off, right? And I would include Clash of Clans with that. You know, they did something very right, made a great yeah. piece of software. Um, but I would also include Minecraft. But people... Yeah. You know, the whole industry looks at Clash of Clans and says, this is what everybody should be doing. But when you talk about Minecraft, they go, that's insane. You're crazy to try and do that. That's nuts, you know. And I just see it as uh, they're equivalently difficult to do. You know, yeah. to have a hit is, is, is just difficult full stop. It is. And if you're, not, if you're not trying to push something and you're not trying to delight your players and actually give them, you know, huge value for money, um, then... Um, it's going to be really difficult for you no matter what you do and no matter how much uh, marketing you do and how big your budget is, uh, it's very, very difficult to have an actual hit. Um, and so I, I just I just sort of disagree with the, the, um, the idea that somehow by making a casual free-to-play game, you're, you're increasing your chances of, of making $100 million, which is, seems to be what everyone is chasing these days, you know. Well, I'm, I'm very careful about who I approach on this show because I, I, I approach games that I believe in and uh, I want to raise their profile because the premise of it was that, you know, not everyone can go to shows and events like Eurogamer or PAX or something. Yeah. And, and that's what this is about. It's about the school conversations I would have with developers on the show floor. I'm thinking, wouldn't this be good if I actually put this up on the made a show out of it? And yeah. here we are. That's yeah, the great. idea, really. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> yes, all right. I, I really do adore um, room games. and But... Um, that aside, because we're going to go on to that in the second half, which we're about to go on to, but I'll ask a question to you, and it is my favourite question of the show because it gives you an idea of the kind of stuff you're into. What are you playing right now? And it can't be anything. It can be tabletop as well. Uh, me, I, personally, yeah. I'm, I'm still very much a sort of PC strategy game nerd. <laughs> so what is I it? Tend to you, play you're it. I mean, right, right now I'm playing uh, the Total War Caesar and Gaul DLC. Wow. Um, Rome 2. Okay. Is it working uh, now? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still it's still a bit, you know, it has problems with AI and all of that. But honestly, I look past it because I just love the experience the game gives. Um, right. And so, uh, yeah, I'm a huge Total War fan, and I've been playing actually Rome Two, you know, ever since it came out, pretty much on and off. So um, there's a grand epic another. scale strategies are in. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much just love strategy games, even on iOS. You know, I, I really like strategy games on that as well, and. Um, Another before that, I was playing Crusader Kings two. Okay. Um, and then you know, other than that, I play pretty much all of the big console games that I can. Um, but less so in the last six months or so, I pretty much been sticking to the PC. Yeah. Actually, I feel. Um, so I've got a bunch of um, next gen games that I'm, I'm waiting to play now. Yeah, I got a new, the new machines at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, kind of missed over the Christmas period, um, but. Um, yeah, I'm liking Titanfall, stuff like that. That's good fun. Yeah. It did a yep. really, really good... That's an understatement, actually. That's a really good good game. They did a really good job of that. Yeah, it's um, a very nice piece of software. Yeah, I'm not really keen on what they did with Forza, though. Uh, just not feeling that game. Forza... Yeah, five. Horizon? Yeah, oh, five. five. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I think but, um, people in the in in um, like a lot of the fireproof guys are well into racing games, and they do like yeah. really quite a lot. So um, you'd probably have to ask them about that. No, indeed. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I've been delving into a lot of indie games recently. So um, yeah, it's my my my. I'm going through my Steam list of games that I bought recently. I should start playing this now. Uh, so uh, yeah, oh, look, I'm exactly the same. I have yeah. God knows how many um, Steam games clocked up that I haven't even touched yet. <laughs> I am definitely uh, one of those guys. <laughs> so I've got. I'm playing Heavy Bullets a lot recently, which is a lovely, lovely indie game. Oh yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah it's a rogue, rogue type, and I've actually rogue like indeed. Sorry, rogue type like, and uh, sorry, our our type. See, and you re- and you reckon it's really good? I really enjoy it because it's. It, it places a phenomenal amount of restrictions on the player, uh, and it adds nuances to the play of the nuances, but f- uh, facets of the gameplay that the player must earn in order to have. So, for example, when you reload the gun, it doesn't reload all the bullets; it just reloads one bullet at a time. Right. <laughs> so okay. you, you'll find yourself like clicking the chamber, like I reloaded. No, only one bullet. Okay, yeah. Yep, then sounds like can, a road like. Yeah, but then you can buy your ability to put two bullets in. I see, yeah. Three bullets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's done in a certain visual style, and it's very it's very scary. It's actually very intense. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah, because you think that, I'm going to die any second, because you're always on the brink of death. Um, so I, I really enjoy it. I've actually got the developer uh, booked in for his, uh, an interview, so I'm very happy about oh, that. great. So I reached out oh, to I'll him. I'll check it out then. Yeah, so he said yes. Recommendation. Yeah, it's it's a good, in, in, unique game. It is an early access, um, but uh, I just wanted to. It's not a hundred quid, is it? You, it's only about a fiver. But yeah. um, look, it's I'm not... looking forward to Elite. Yeah, I, I went to an event over the weekend, uh, a community event on on Elite, Elite Dangerous. Oh, right. Yeah, and uh, I understand there's a BAFTA event going on tonight, but I didn't go because I went to the community event. And I'm oh, talking right. to you, um, <laughs> um, but. Um, I'm a bit worried about Elite. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm worried yeah. too. Um, I'm a bit more worried about Star Citizen, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's. I think I what's happening here is a, it's a it's a trend which we can talk about. I guess why not? Um, is just can communities make games? Are they the best people to be listening to? Now, yeah, I know. With, yeah. It's it's because I think maybe not because there there's a admission by the developer over this weekend. It's a Oh, the best way to play this game is using this certain joystick. Yeah, I know, I know. I actually tweeted that a while back that um, this actually might make me um, rebuy a joystick again for the first time in 15 years. Because, you know, it is the way to play those games, right? It is. There's no no denying that. And they had every station they set up bar one, and one of them had an Xbox 360 controller. That's what I prefer to play it with because... It would probably work fine on that. Yeah, it would, but... It, they they didn't quite map the controls properly, so you end up having to press the keyboard as well. Like, no, yeah, <laughs> there's enough yeah. buttons. You know this. Yeah, there's enough right, buttons yeah. on that that bloody thing that you should be able to. But yeah. no. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, my, yeah, I, I definitely have a worry about it that they'll overcomplicate it. And they have. I. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, from what I've seen, they haven't. Um, right. But I've only like seen on websites. I've never actually seen the game. Or um, well, if you actually sit down to play, it, let me give an example. Yeah. In order to to um, to turn to to engage uh, combat, mm. you have to turn in, turn on your hard points, and then the both hard points become engaged, yeah. and then then they lock onto the target, and then you can start firing. Right. 
flannel. Mm, you think <laughs> that's faff? It's riddled, riddled with faff and flannel. Right, okay. And yeah. I know why. It's because the community behind it, who are yeah. who've already invested a phenomenal amount of money, who are yeah. so close to the coalface, it's not even funny. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just... So you think that's come from the community, like saying, yeah. oh, we yeah. want you to articulate the, plan, the, the yes. ships and, yeah. Yeah, it's, want you yeah to, it's just perfectly possible, I guess. Yeah. yeah, we want you to, you know, we want the little flashing dial to flash yellow uh, at, a, at a rate of three seconds per... Th- no! Yeah. No! Yeah, I, not- I, I would yeah. just have trust that they, they'll, they'll yes. you know, they'll do right by the by the game because, um, I, I don't know, I just do. What, I have, what, I have trust that they, they won't um, make it too faffy. No, I'm going to do a write up that you can you can see that if you're interested. Fair enough. But that's my my take on it. Wait, and thinking it looks glorious, but has it got the soul of the elite? That the thing that we love so much. And I've, yeah, I mean the videos I've oh, seen did. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I'm you know <laughs> that's not the same as actually playing it. So. No. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very much reserving judgment, and I'm refusing to pay a hundred pounds to do the, <laughs> the early access. Yeah. So no, I don't, don't uh, do that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to wait. I backed it because I did because I wanted the game, but yeah. but that's I as far as it, I just want the finished game. Just I'm, I've got plenty, thank you. Yeah, yep. <laughs> So, elite and whatever things aside, let us move on to the second half of the show where we talk about the room. So Barry, give us the pitch for this glorious pair of titles. The pitch? Gosh, I don't think I've ever pitched it. Um, the room is... Let me just try and think of a, a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a um, tactile puzzle game used, that uses um, the touch interface to manipulate objects within this 3D world. And it's sort of set against the backdrop, a sort of very creepy, sort of Victorian, Lovecraftian... Um, ambiance and backdrop um, and the idea behind the game is that you've you've been invited to um, uh, visit an old friend and when you get to the house it's empty except for an old safe and on the safe is a letter and the letter says basically you have to get into the safe, you have to open up and see what's inside and that's the very first chapter of the first game is to find out what's inside the safe and when you eventually get into the safe uh, yeah, you find something surprising, and you basically have to keep going. And there's more yes. puzzles and more puzzles and more puzzles. And um, so yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a um, what would you say rabbit hole of puzzles? Yeah, it's not one of those Russian doll things. Yeah, keeps yeah, going and going and going. Um, but yeah, and it's 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 like you said, it's these objects that sit on tables sometimes, yeah. usually. <laughs> or was the table itself? Yep, oh, that's true. That's yeah. quite, There's quite true. a few table puzzles. <laughs> yes, it's quite interesting. What's all and that it is, Yeah, it's it's just that idea of getting of you of manipulating inanimate objects. Um, yeah. So you you know you don't have to you know the way you get into the safe is not by finding the key hidden in the room. It's by pretty abstract um, uh, searching, and you, you know we initially wanted to make sure that the game was less about abstract thinking and more about just looking. So the player just has to keep looking and they'll find out how to get into it rather yeah. than, um, you know, trying to figure out how to put the rubber chicken with the pulley 
and get the hammer off the old man and stick that in the in the river at seven o'clock in the morning and then you'll get the key to the gate which opens the blah 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 you know we didn't we didn't want to do those kind of puzzles we wanted to do stuff that was about manip was about finding objects and then manipulating them into into doing what you want yes those those puzzles sent point and click adventures into oblivion kind of but they were also a charm in my view you know it's uh, yeah but yeah, you were. You could never think your way through those kind of games. No, there was Lu- games. Yeah, as Lucas I think there's another one. I think Gabriel Knight. I think yeah, was, Gabriel Knight. In- yeah, I never played them, but I know of them. No, there's an infamous one where you had to get the hair of a cat and use it as a for a moustache to get a disguise, and it was there's no logic to it at all, <laughs> at all. Yeah, and yeah, and it's like I think Shark has been jumped over now, and yeah, yeah. Uh, we need yeah. to reset everything. And thankfully. Everything has been reset, and people yeah, to are really, some degree, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, there's going to be some regression back to those times, but ultimately, I think it, they're they're much better at it now than ever before. Yeah, and it would be very interesting to see, you know, where that goes now. Um, yeah. You know, there's lots of different sort of um, flavors of that. You know, um, The Walking Dead, everything from that to Broken Broken Age, and um, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on. So. Hmm. Uh, and it'd be nice so, to be a revival. yes. Anyway, my next question about uh, the room games is: um, there are clues given to the player, and they're yeah. dangled in front of them, mm. and uh, it kind of implies that if they seek help, they kind of failed. <laughs> how do you feel? How do you feel the clue system is betrayed? I mean, could you tell us what your community and people are saying about how the clues are delivered? Um, uh, well, the, the idea behind the clues was we yeah. wanted we wanted to we wanted to have clues just so that um, and it's to make the game more accessible and to make it just playable. And again, um, the problem with puzzle games is uh, you have no way of knowing who's going to get stuck on which puzzle because um, people. Uh, like for instance we'll get mails from people and they'll say I finished the game in an hour and a half like you know that was ridiculous whereas we get mails from people saying it took me five days it was too hard you know and um, and so with puzzles you can't really predict how people are going to um, react to them and how well or how, how badly they're going to um, you know obsess over particular parts of the game um, so what we wanted to do with the, the um, like bearing that in mind um, we wanted to make the hint system for those people who who because we couldn't predict where they where it was going to be difficult we wanted to make it sort of at any stage you would have some help in the game and some sort of direction if you felt like you really couldn't figure out what to do or whatever we always just wanted something there to help you but the reason why that the the cl- the clues are tiered um I should just explain this uh, if you if you're at at any point in the game if you click a clue <clears throat> excuse me if you click a clue the very first clue will not even be a clue it will just literally tell you whether or not you're on the right track yeah so it won't tell you anything about what you're supposed to do it'll just tell you have you looked at you know are are you looking at this and you know most likely you are um and that'll be the first clue and it, and and so we wanted that first clue to literally just tell people cuz some people really don't want to look at the clues and they feel they have to because they can't progress. So we wanted was if if people were in that situation that the very first clue would not give any spoilers at all, but would literally just let them know that they are already on the right track. Which is why a lot of people would say, you know, we did get mails from people from people saying the first, you know, the clue doesn't tell you anything. It already tells you what you already know, which is exactly what we wanted it to do. It was just for people who were about to fall off a cliff of I really don't know what I'm doing. 
I need to reach for the clues. And so the first one would just be spoiler free. Completely. Yeah. And so that's um, why they're tiered. And then if you're if you wait another one and a half minutes and you still haven't progressed in the game, the clue will then change. So if you click on it again, it's got a bit more information on it. And then wait another two minutes. If you're still stuck, the clue will change again and it will be quite explicit about what you have to do. Yeah. And it was just that idea of not presupposing how the player wants to play the game. And that was why we put it in like in in the way we did. Because it is very narrative driven. I yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think there is a lot of, there's a story there. It's very dark. We'll talk about that in the next question. Mm. But it is there is a there's a strain right through it, there's, and yeah. it reminds me of a very um, uh, funny sort of routine someone did. I think it's Dara O'Brien as he did it. He said, uh, you know, when you're reading a book, when you, yeah, it was <laughs> Dara O'Brien, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dara O'Brien. He said, when you're reading a book, and he says, oh, okay, now we're paid third chapter now. Um, what do you what can you tell us about? The, for the previous three chapters you've read. Yeah. If you get it wrong, like, oh, you're going to start again now. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's a bit of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think there, there might, you might be driven, not by that routine, far from it, but that kind of thinking. Like You want people to experience all this game has to offer. That's right, yeah. And, you know, why why cut it off? And, you know, yeah, the, we right. all know the percentages of people who don't complete games is very high. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. exactly. It, the thing is... A lot of gaming is about exp- the experience of playing the game. It's it's not necessary. I mean, I don't. I you know I don't uh, consider myself like I can't relate to those gamers who who love story and love, um, uh, sorry, who love the the plot and the storyline and the dialogue in in games or even the characters. You know, I I personally pick um, a book up. It's not what it's not what's interesting to me about games. Yeah. What's interesting to me about games is what games does particularly well which is interactivity and the creation of virtual worlds and and making a player feel and see and hear things and um, that are really interesting and that you know that's to me that's personally why i like video you know that's what i get out of it um uh, there are obviously other gamers who for instance you know they love the metal gear solid story and they buy it and they they follow it as if it's a comic and uh, and you know i have no particular interest in that really um beyond the service that it does to expanding the world and making the world seem um a bit more real and a bit more believable and acceptable um you know so these things matter but they're not um they're not the center of the game the center of the game is the software itself um mm. and yeah i uh, it's um we, you know we wanted to make the story uh background to the actual game and to, what it does is it fills out the blanks in the world that you're in yeah. and sort of explains well, stuff without having to for us without us having to you know build loads more content to explain why you are where you are etc so we kept it all very spartan on purpose you know the story is is, is like a, it's sprinkled throughout the game rather than front and center you know yeah it's less is more yeah exactly in that case. yeah um so speaking of the story and tone, my view. Mm-hmm. The game is very much Lovecraftian, mm. as, you, as you've hinted at. Why is it Lovecraftian? Why you could have set it in the far flung future? Would have worked. Yeah, we could um, have. Distant past. That would have worked. I think. Maybe yeah. like Egyptian that sort of thing. Yeah, An idea. I mean, I, it, yeah, it does I mean, do that. I mean, uh, not too yeah. spoiler. Not too um, <laughs> give away spoilers, but it does do that. Uh, yeah. it, it it plays with time periods in the game. Yeah. And so by the end of the game, you're not really sure where, where, and what, when you are. <laughs> and that's, and that's right. Done on purpose, and that then continues in the room two, and will continue again in in the the next game of the series that we do. Okay. And we like doing that. But um, why is it Lovecraftian? I mean, we 
probably the team. I remember when you know we all we all spoke about it back in the day. I think we, um, I mean, certainly myself and Mark and and a few of the other guys, um, we just sort of felt it would be the right fit. You know, it, it, we wanted to build beautiful objects, and so you know a lot of these objects are historical. You know, from right. the, the days of handcrafted stuff. Um, and so, you know, from Victorian era backwards was basically what we were looking at in order to fulfill that because we wanted the game to be about looking at beautiful objects and playing with, with, and manipulating beautiful objects. And that, so that fit. Um, the second one was a horror. If you're, if you're trying to do something spine tingling, um, you don't have to explain so much. No. Because all you're aiming for is for the hairs to go up in the back of your neck a little bit. And once you've got that, then that's fine. And people will accept that and and progress through the game on those terms. Whereas if we had it made it modern day, people would look, would look um, like players would expect to be much more realistic across the board in what it does and in what it says and in explaining things. And if you push it back a bit in history, you don't have to go into all that stuff so much because people just accept it easier because you're already in a fantasy world. And then if you go to Far Flung Future, I mean, I made some notes here about possibility you'd be in the culture universe to say. People really can't relate to the culture. That's the problem with it. It's it's really hard to relate to, isn't it? I mean, there's uh, ultra, ultra far flung. Like, yeah, it's just magic. Exactly. You, you, know? have to, you, have to, you have to fill in the blanks for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And right? then it so, becomes, yeah. And this like, is the problem. Whereas when you, go, when you deal with history, people think they, people just have in their heads, well, I know this period. I, yeah, I know what happened yeah, then. Yeah. And I know roughly what it was like. And uh, so there's just so much there to, to work with. And then, you know, secondarily, we're fans of Lovecraft. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> we're fans of, of horror games. Um, and when we were trying to, you know, when we were, before we ever made the room, and when we were dreaming of making video games on our own, when we were doing outsource work for other people, uh, we thought that horror games um, had basically, horror games had basically disappeared by 2008. I mean, good horror games, like Resident Evil was done. Um, and it had just been abandoned as a genre. And so we really wanted to make a proper horror game um, that wasn't about, for instance, jump scares or gore, but was actually just about, being ch- like something chilling in well, the sort, the, of, in sort of poltergeisty Spielberg kind of way. Yeah, the stuff um, in the corner of your eye. That. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then you just imagine stuff being... Yeah, know, and, the, and the great thing about Lovecraft is his stuff is all about what it does to your mind. It's not about body horror or gore or anything like that. It's really about an, a, horror, a horrific experience. And so um, keeping it within those kind of tones just really helped the game because... Um, I don't know. It just it worked with the the Victorian visuals we wanted and everything, and um, and also with horror. I mean, you can be really Spartan, and people just accept it. You don't have to, re- you know, be really explicit in your content and create lots of content in order to sell the game as um, um, sort of in order for it to feel real to people and acceptable. With horror, you can, um, there's a lot of, um, because you're going for an emotion more than anything else or a state of mind, you, people aren't looking for the storyline and the plot line and who's, where's the romance and where's, you know. Um, so it, it gives you a lot of leeway to work when you're making, when you have very limited resources like we did. Um, uh, horror really allowed us to sort of, um, to compete with much bigger budget games. Because it, it, it you know, you're, cause like you said, it, it requires minimalism. That's the, that's the beauty that's of right. it. That's right, but also it, it gets people's imagination really active, right? So if we don't yeah. spell out what's going on, which we don't and we purposely don't, right. um, people's imagination starts to switch on. So then it's like reading a novel, right, where the players actually 
um, involved now in the game because they're like because they're wondering all the time. Gosh, what's next? Or what's yeah. this about? Or and that's much more interesting and easy to do when you have less resources than be, have a really overt, explicit story with lots of characters and you know where people are being told what to think and told what to feel. Agreed. It's much more mm-hmm. interesting to lead people on a little bit in the sort of less is more Jaws um, kind of way or the alien kind of way, you know. Of, um, just just set the scene for people and their imagination will take over. Yeah. Well, uh, it becomes their own enemy. <laughs> because, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, some people found it actually creepy, the game, you know. And it, we, it just, is... we just wanted it to be sort of spine tingly, you know. We intend it to be much more than that, but some yeah. people obviously are very. And in fact, a lot, a lot of the people who really like horror are, are the people who are most terrified by it. Right. And so, yeah, we had a lot of people who, who um, yeah, had that reaction to the game where they actually thought it was really quite scary, which okay. is nice. Yeah. So the final question I've got yeah. is um, the room games are a rare breed in that they are on the mobile platform, but they actually have a beginning, middle, and an end. Yeah. <laughs> Now, since then, I say since then, I'm not saying I'm completely sort of inspired by it, but since then, um, there's been other games come out, like, for example, Tengami and Monument Valley, mm. that similarly have beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Um, are you emboldened by this? Are you happy about this? Is this what, proving your point? Well, all games have a beginning, middle, and end. It's only, it's only, it's only very particular kinds of free-to-play mobile games that don't. No, um, you know, so that's that's not unusual at all, really. It's only if you compare it to the kind of casual games that people are making, you know, and then yeah, I mean, they're games as a service, right? That's what they're called. So they're just a different beast in that respect. So um, we, you know, we basically took all our cues from, you know, historical gaming. We didn't really care that much about mobile gaming when we made the mobile game. We just wanted to make a good game. We didn't really mm. care what platform it was on, or we weren't necessarily influenced by any mobile games. We just, you know, we took all of our assumptions about what a good game looks like on console or PC. We took them to mobile and, and did it as much as we could, to, you know, just continued in that path and, you know, have some nice graphics, have a great control system, have a good camera, you know, build a nice world, make interesting interactive gameplay. That's all standard stuff, you know. It's, um, and, you know, making a game with the ending would have been also just yet another um, um, one of those assumptions we took with us into the game. So we didn't yeah. think about it at all as being in any way strange. Um, <laughs> and yet it is. Um, well, apparently it is. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've since learned that it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, we've never looked at it like that. We've never looked at it all like, um, oh, well, you know, there's a mobile audience and they only like X, Y and Z. And so you can't do A, B and C. You know, and we never looked at it like that. We just said, "What is a good game? What does a good right. game look like?" Yeah. We'll just make that then. Okay. You know. <laughs> so um, it's been fascinating talking to you, Barry. And I really oh, appreciate I so. your, your candid uh, responses, and uh, it's been really, really interesting to hear about the room. Where, where can get where can one get the game? It's on iOS and Android right now. iOS is right? and Android, yeah. And it's on both the and also on, also um, Amazon. You can get it for Kindle. Oh, you can get it for Kindle. So yeah, any Amazon device. And it is cross-platform, so it can work on tablets and phones? Yes. Right. Because I played it on my uh, 5S, which I only got last November. Up until then, oh, I, yeah. had, I had an Android phone. Yeah. Uh, and then I defected. Uh, uh, <laughs> finally. Right. And how did it play? How did it 
really well. Um, yeah, I was really happy with it. I was worried that the screen size wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, and I was really tempted to to uh, get, ask someone to or test it out or something like that. But no, I really liked it because I have an iPad, but it's an iPad 1, yeah, uh, yeah. which means that most stuff doesn't work on it anymore. It's a lovely Yeah, machine. it's iPad 2 and up. Yeah, which makes yeah. sense because of the nature of the game. Uh, yeah. other, there are other games out there. Go, it's only iPad 2. Like, what? It's just numbers. Like, what? Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Is- I mean, our, yeah, our game is. It works on uh, on phones. It's the 4s and up, and yeah. on the uh, iPad, it's iPad 2 and up. Yeah, um, and but then no. Android obviously is a bit crazier than that. <laughs> there's no yeah. particular baseline because there's so many devices. But um, generally, you know, fairly high end devices will play the game no problem. Yeah, uh, and on a 5S, it ate it up, and it's uh, it's glorious. It's, oh, it runs like yeah, dream on a 5S. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very. Even on that smaller screen, I still found myself drawing in and almost missing my train station. Cool. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we've been actually quite surprised by um, if we, you know if you check our, our ratings on the iOS store for phone, um, they're just as high as the iPad. Yeah. So that was really nice. Really nice that, to find um, out. I'm not sure if the I'm never played on the iPad because like I said, I can't. I need to upgrade that blasted thing. I haven't got round to it because it works. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. It's like vicious circle thing. Why feed the monster? Um, I may actually just get a tablet, an Android tablet, so I can get both platforms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Personally, I would say tabloid is uh, tabloid. Tablet Tablet is the uh, is the the platform for me. I play everything on. I don't play anything on phone now because I've got an iPad four and um, yeah, it does great. Yeah. Well, like I said, thank you very much, and do do return okay. when uh, three comes out, and anything else you're working on. Sure, yeah, be happy to. It'd be be lovely to have you back on, but oh, uh, in, in the meantime, best of luck with your future endeavours. Thank you, man. And you uh, too. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on stitcher.com so just go to stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the sausage factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on twitter at chris o'regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye